The belief that God became man and dwells among us in Jesus Christ is at the very heart of Orthodox Christian life and worship. Orthodox worship, therefore, involves the whole person, heart, mind, body, and soul. In our services of worship, Christians pray and sing in liturgies that are not of this world. Ancient Faith Radio now presents Singing the Triumphal Hymn with Father John Finley, exploring the Orthodox faith through music and liturgy. Father John is a composer and musician and is with the Missions and Evangelism Department of the Antiochian Orthodox Church. Here's Father John. In our last podcast, we talked about a symbol versus reality, this uh, false dichotomy that we need to try to hold together in order to understand uh, the various rites performed in the Divine Liturgy and uh, their uh, meaning for us and for the Church as she ascends into the Heavenly Holy of Holies to worship God. We discussed um, the basic action of sensing and now I'd like to uh, work on processions, candles, sign of the cross, standing, sitting, bowing, these kinds of things. And keep in mind also that last time we took on the discipline of uh, temporarily suspending the use of the words uh, represents or symbolizes until we could uh, do so without opposing those things from uh, the reality of the thing symbolized and instead uh, using the words manifests reveals actualizes makes present these kinds of words so let's take a look at uh, processions and entrances for a second father alexander in his book liturgy and life says all liturgical services are virtually built after the pattern of a procession that is a movement forward thus revealing the dynamic nature of Christian liturgy. The rite symbolizes and manifests, we'll let Father Alexander say symbolizes. (laughs) This rite symbolizes and manifests the movement of man towards God, the movement of God towards man, the movement of the whole history of salvation towards its ultimate consummation in the kingdom of God. For example, in the divine liturgy, the entrance of the priest into the sanctuary, the movement of man, his bringing in of the Eucharistic elements, that is the movement of sacrifice, and then his coming out with the chalice, God approaching men and coming to us. We sing this song in the little entrance of the Divine Liturgy. Come, let us worship and fall down before Christ. O Son of God, who art risen from the dead, save us who sing to thee, Alleluia. And in that entrance of the priest, it's not just the entrance of the, of the priest, but the entrance of the royal priesthood into upwards in an ascent 
towards the heavenly holy of holies to enter into a uh, communion of the word of god the divine liturgy in its first aspect is an ascension and a procession into communion with the word the first part of the liturgy called the liturgy of the word by some and in this second procession or entrance we enter into a deeper communion with god that is a communion of the body and the blood and the priest brings in the bread and the wine to ascend into uh, the throne and to share and to receive the body and blood of the Lord. Finally, Father Alexander talks about the priest coming out with a chalice. We sing, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Uh, God is the Lord and has revealed himself unto us. I remember when I first heard that song, I was thinking, uh, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. That's uh, me coming forward for communion. No, No, it is Christ. It is Christ coming to us in uh, the bread and the wine to uh, forgive our sins and to give us the eternal life through eating his body and drinking his blood for salvation. Next, uh, he speaks of uh, light and darkness, uh, specifically of uh, the use of candles. Besides lighting candles uh, before icons, there are also uh, other liturgical rites of light. The newly baptized is given a candle. Also, the newly wed hold candles. The celebrants have candles in their hands during certain solemn uh, portions of the service. The whole congregation at a funeral, or uh, maybe I'm thinking during uh, Holy Week or certain uh, other high feasts. The liturgical rubrics prescribe that the church be illuminated at certain moments and then darkened at others. All this manifests ritually the fundamental Christian opposition of light and darkness, holiness and sinfulness, joy and sorrow, death and resurrection. Light always stands for Christ, who said, I am the light of the world. For the enlightenment he brought to us, the knowledge of the true God, the possibility to reach him the gift of communion with him. Some people uh, ask me, you know, if they're not used to the way we worship and how we conduct ourselves when we come into a church, well, is it okay for me to light a candle? And I say, yes, (laughs) it's okay. (laughs) Uh, Well, um, what am I supposed to do? I said, well, take the candle light it, say a prayer for uh, someone who's on your mind, maybe say a prayer for yourself, uh, put it in the candle uh, stand or the or the sand there, uh, make the sign of the cross and return to your place. Then I'm asked, well, okay, why am I doing this? And I say, because Jesus is the light of the world. 
I learned a, a lesson when I was a, a kid growing up in the Baptist church. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Do you know that song? <laughs> I, I think a lot of us know that song. Well, the only problem is I never had a little light of mine. <laughs> And I didn't let it shine. I mean, it was all spiritualized, you know, the light uh, inside of me, the light of my faith. And that that's all well and good. But again, why does it have to be this invisible inner thing only and not an outward expression too? Are those things opposed? So when I light a candle, I am manifesting I am revealing, I am actualizing, I am bearing witness to and proclaiming the little light inside of me, Jesus Christ. And it becomes a big light when we all do that and light up the church with our candles. It's really so simple in a way, so obvious, so childlike. You know, like Jesus said, unless we become like children, we won't see the kingdom of God. And we get so heady with all these things. You know, it's like, let's say a husband and wife are going to have a candlelit dinner, a romantic candlelit dinner, celebrating their relationship with each other, their love for each other, sharing the communion of food and fellowship together. And if I were to ask my wife, why are we lighting a candle? <laughs> I don't know what she might do to me. <laughs> uh, in that context, that's not a very smart question. And uh, in the context of uh, the life of the church, Really, it's it's pretty obvious, isn't it? So let's just not let our heads get in the way and oppose this symbol in reality. Let's not oppose these things. The physical candle and the physical light manifest, reveals, actualizes, makes present witnesses to the light inside of me that is Jesus Christ in my heart. Let's look at uh, the sign of the cross. You know, this is a real simple thing, an essential Christian blessing, an expression of uh, the faith of the church in the saving power of the cross of Christ. Do we believe that we're saved through the cross? Then why wouldn't we uh, make the sign of the cross? I can remember growing up, I used to watch baseball players make the sign of the cross. And I thought, well, what is this? Some kind of superstition? Some kind of a rabbit's foot that if I make the sign of the cross, maybe I'll hit a home run. But I was, uh, I was judging this person that I didn't even know that I was watching on television. And I'm not saying that people don't do that. Maybe they do use it like a rabbit's foot. Maybe they do use it as superstition. But maybe they don't. And maybe we don't have to. And maybe we can do it in a proper way that it actually reveals 
and manifest our testimony, our witness, our faith in the cross, that Christ died on the cross to save us from our sins and to give us eternal life. There's a verse in, I believe it's in Deuteronomy, and I'm not, I don't have it in front of me, and I'm not always great at quoting chapter and verse, but uh, maybe you're familiar with this uh, verse and you can look on it, but it says that they will uh, write the, the law on their doorposts and on their gates and on their hands and their foreheads and as they walk along the way. Do you remember that verse? Well, how do I mark my faith on my hand? Well, I hold my uh, thumb and index finger and third finger together and my uh, fourth, finger, fourth and fifth fingers down together in the palm of my hand, making the sign of the Holy Trinity and the two natures uh, united in the person of God the Son our Lord Jesus Christ. So I have written on my hand the doctrine of the Trinity and the Incarnation, and I make the sign of the cross. Some people like to make a big deal over the fact that Orthodox Christians make the sign after they touch their forehead and their chest, the right shoulder and then the left shoulder, and that Roman Catholics do it backwards. They touch their left shoulder and then their right shoulder, and they're doing it wrong. You know, people ask me sometimes, what do we, do we cross from left to right or right to left? I say, say uh, are you talking about the priest? And they look at me kind of funny. <laughs> and uh, I say, say to them, you know, when I make the sign of the cross over the congregation, when I make the sign of the cross over the bread and the wine, when I bless an icon, I go from left to right. They go, really? Left to right? I said, yeah, a Roman Catholic priest does the same thing, left to right when he blesses something. And I think the difference is from the perspective of the recipient. From one perspective, which is our perspective as an Orthodox Christian, what we're doing is we're tracing this sign on ourselves as it would be traced by a priest or a bishop who gave us this blessing of the sign of the cross. And so in the mirror image, if the priest is blessing me from left to right in a mirror image, I would bless myself from the right to the left to trace the same marks that he traced over me. From the perspective of a Roman Catholic layman, they would simply say, I, I assume, um, I'm doing it the same way the priest does it. So, right or wrong, I don't like to make a big deal of it. I do teach uh, as it has been handed down to us in the one holy catholic and apostolic church uh, over the centuries that when we make the sign of the cross over ourselves we cross uh, forehead and chest and then the right and the left standing sitting bowing kneeling prostrations i i, I can't tell you how many songs i i grew up singing in uh earlier in life that talked about come and bow down before god but i never did 
I sang about it, but I didn't do it with my body. And when I came into the communion of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, it was like, oh, they're doing what they're singing. <laughs> and again, it's kind of an, uh, an obvious thing, but we trip ourselves up in our minds. The whole man, Father Alexander says, that is the soul and the body take part in worship because the whole man has been assumed by the Son of God in his incarnation and must be redeemed for God and for his kingdom. Therefore, the various positions of the body in worship have a liturgical significance and are expressions of worship. Standing is the basic liturgical position, and sometimes we hear the deacons say, let us stand aright, let us stand up straight. Because in Christ we have been redeemed, we have been given back our true human stature, risen from the death of sin and from the submission to the animal and sinful part of our nature. Thus the church forbids any other position like kneeling or prostration on the Lord's day when we commemorate Christ's resurrection and contemplate the glory of the new creation. Kneeling and prostrations, being rites of uh, repentance, are reserved for the penitential seasons of the year, that is, the, like the Lenten season but are also prescribed on certain occasions as uh, rites of adoration, like uh, kneeling or prostrating before the cross or the altar, for instance. Sitting is limited to the teaching part of the service, that is, the reading of the prophecies, the sermon. I can think of another time, like when the Kathisma Psalms, Kathisma is a Greek word that means to sit, and uh, when we... on. Uh, Vespers and uh, Matins, uh, if we are accustomed to reading uh, the Cathisma Psalms, that is, sets of Psalms, uh, that are kind of long, then we sit for that. The Gospel, however, is always listened to in the standing position. So the point here, I think, very simply, is that we want to worship God with our soul, yes, with our thoughts, our minds, our hearts. But we also want to worship God with our body because we are a whole man. I want to worship God in, in my whole nature. I want to offer a twofold worship to God. Worship God with my soul. Worship God with my body. And if I commit to that, if I don't oppose the soul and the body, if I don't oppose physical and spiritual, if I don't oppose symbol and reality, then I'm free. I'm free to worship God outwardly in gesture, with candles, with my nose, in procession upward towards God in all of these manifold ways, and I am enriched and bring my body as well as my soul, the temple of the Holy Spirit, St. Paul says, into conformance with the kingdom of God. And that was Father John Finley with Singing the Triumphal Hymn, Exploring the Orthodox Faith Through Music and Liturgy. 
If you would like to write Father John, his email is singing at ancientfaith.com. That's singing at ancientfaith.com. This is a listener-supported presentation of Ancient Faith Radio.